Amen. Have you ever had a near-death experience? Many people have, and I actually had one last year, September 27, 2021. I was on my way to work, and I was rear-ended by a 20,000-plus pound truck that was going 60-some miles an hour, and I was, I was stationary at the time. And uh, I, I'd stopped behind a group of cars because a coal truck was pulling off, and at that moment, everything kind of went in slow motion. Um, at that moment, I saw that truck. I looked in my rearview mirror. I see this truck barreling down. And at that point, my whole life kind of flashed before my eyes. And I was like, well, I guess this is a good time to go. You know, I'd planted a, just planted a church not too long before that. I was listening to a Christian radio host at the time. I had a good morning driving to work, <coughs> praising God. I was like, well, I guess at least I'm, I'm going in at a good time, you know, at that point. Uh, this feeling, really, of this being it, really just seemed close at hand. It was like as the truck hit me, the glass shattered. You can look at the picture on the next slide. Uh, my, like the rear rear glass just went throughout the car. My car spins out of control, and I was like, I felt a lot like Jonah explains as we're going to see in this psalm here. Death was here for me. It'd been a pretty good run at that point, but I was pretty uh, pretty sad to think about leaving my, my my wife and kids behind. That was that was really difficult for me, but, but I wasn't concerned about my eternity. Praise God, I knew that my, my faith was in Jesus Christ. I knew where I was going. If this was it, I knew I was going home. Not because of how great I was, not because of I checked all the lists, not because I planted the church, not because I'd done this or this, but because Christ had saved my wretched soul. Because I, although a wretch, was saved by grace through faith. And praise the Lord, he sovereignly protected me that morning. And as the truck hit me and, and drilled that side, he actually spun me out of the way so that I didn't take the rest of that force. And, you know, praise God, I'm, I'm here today. It wasn't my time to go. He, he graciously offered me an earthly form of salvation at that point. My life was not taken at that point. But then as all of this happened, I still have to admit, like even afterwards and even throughout this, I still have peace But even through all that. And I had peace at the time. Even when I was getting hit, I was like, all right, Lord, you know, I know where I'm going. Jonah, though, we're going to see, doesn't have that same peace. Jonah is in rebellion against the Lord. Jonah is running from the Lord as he's thrown into the sea. And as we see him sinking into the depths of the sea, he doesn't have that peace. But yet, when all seems lost, when all, it's like, okay, his life is done, he finally responds to to the Lord and the affliction that the Lord has placed upon him. And there is a surprising form of earthly salvation that we're going to see at the end here. Uh, 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 you know, we've already kind of seen the beginning of this, but we'll see the end of what happens. So let's go ahead and pray and get ready to hear God's word, Lord. Lord, uh, Lord, we, we praise you so much for this day. We praise you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Uh, God, we know that there are so many out there that are hurting right now. We know there are so many who, who are in in darkness. There are so many that are in distress, that do feel distance from you, God. And so, God, I, I lift up those who are apart from you, uh, those who, like Jonah, are in rebellion to you at this time as Jonah was. God, and I pray that they humble themselves before you, Lord. I, I pray that they turn to you for not only earthly salvation, but more so for eternal salvation, which is what truly matters. Uh, Lord God, I pray that you draw those people to you. Lord, I pray, pray that you be with those who are in distress uh, locally as we see McDowell County and, and the flooding that's been going on there. I pray that you use that horrible 
uh, event that, 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 that just the creation is groaning that we know that uh, is marred by sin, by our sin, the sin of the world that leads to hurricanes and tornadoes and flooding and all of the bad things that we see happen. So God, we pray that you use that affliction, that horrible thing that's happened to that county, those people, those 75 plus homes that have been destroyed, and that you use that to draw people to you. And we lift up Calvary Baptist in War, West Virginia, who is ministering to those people right now, and we just pray that you be with them. God, may you speak through me today. May you open up our hearts and our minds to hear your word. May you help us to see you uh, clearly in your word, to see your grace and your mercy. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen. So today we're going to discuss how God hears our prayers when we cry out to him in humility. And the first is, point one, the Lord hears your prayers of distress. The Lord hears your prayers of distress. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 and 2 in Jonah chapter 2. Then the Lord prayed to her then, then jo- Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice so we mentioned last week that despite everything that was happening in Jonah's life, he's on that ship, uh, we see the ship is threatening to break into pieces, we see the Lord is hurling the storm at him, the waves are just getting crazy. I mean, it, it's, his, his life is just about over. All of their lives are just about over. And what does Jonah not do? He doesn't pray. The entire time, even these pagan sh- sh- uh, ship crew, uh, these, these, these people on the ship, they are calling out to their little g-gods. They are crying out for mercy from someone out there. Uh, they, they know that this is a supernatural event, and they are crying out to whatever God may be out there. And here Jonah is. Not one time do we see him pray to the Lord. He does not turn to the Lord. Uh, even as he's thrown into the sea, we still don't hear him praying on his way into the water. We don't hear him praying before they throw him. We don't hear anything like that. But then finally we get to verse 1 here, and it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. And this word prayed is only in this book two times. It's here and in Jonah 4 too. And in all the other areas we see called out. And, and that is a, we can call out to the Lord. That, it's not that that's not a, a prayer or not a legitimate prayer. But, but these two words are the, the typical Hebrew word we see for a formal prayer to Yahweh. And, and so we see here that he truly turns to Yahweh. He finally opens up his heart to speak to Yahweh, to God. His stubborn will has finally been broken. It took him to the point of death as he plunges into the depths of the sea to finally get to this point before he would even finally speak to God or acknowledge him again. And Jonah's praying from where? It's in the belly of a great fish. That, 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 that's where we're going to see this psalm kind of take place. He's plunging, he, he's, he's lifting up his prayers, and he continues, he actually formally puts the rest of his prayer together while he's in the belly of this fish. And the author replaces the belly of the fish here, and we see that he, he's in the belly of the fish, and then he uses this belly of Sheol. And a lot of you are like, well, what, what is Sheol? And, and we don't have enough time to go into like an expositional uh, treatment of this. It's, it's actually, it was debated by Hebrew scholars of what Sheol was. Uh, was there eternal life? Was there not eternal life? We see that even in the New Testament, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in eternal life while the Pharisees did. You know, that helps you remember it there. Uh, I know it's pretty kindergarten, but it works. I still remember it. Um, so, so we see that there were different, differing views of what the afterlife meant. But most of the time when the word Sheol was used, it was a place 
of no return. It was you were, you were dead and you went to Sheol. Occasionally it just generically referred to the grave, but most of the time it was thought of as a separation from God. It was, hey, you died, and we would think of it more of Hades. You know, you went to Sheol, it was, it was a, a bad thing. Now again, you will see some, uh, some aspects of where it's used even positively of among righteous people as the grave, but for the most point, that's how they thought of it back then. It was a dark time. At this point, he's like, I, I, it's, it's over. You know, th- th- this is, is it. I have one foot in the grave. It, it is time for me to go home. I think it's amazing how people oftentimes wait till this point in life before they finally crawl, cry out to God. You know, it takes them to that point of, of where they're so in distress that they finally reach out to God. And many who suffer in this life ask a, a very important question. And this is probably the question I hear from more atheists or agnostics or, or people who are, who are really struggling with spirituality. They, they say, well, if God is a good God, how could he allow suffering? You know, right, if God is good, if he is truly good, how can he allow suffering? We see Jonah here. Obviously, we wouldn't think Jonah's good. He hadn't had a great time here. But, but how would God allow him to suffer like this. You know what? If God's good, why would he allow him to be thrown into the sea to plunge the depths to his death? You know, wh- why, why would he allow that? And, and because of the suffering of man and that we see the groaning of this earth, as we talked about already with tornadoes and hurricanes and flooding and spiritual warfare that's going on around us, what do we see in our world? Something's not right, right? We, we can sense Things are out of balance. Things are out of order. Things aren't good. Most people would look at our world and not think, we live in a good world. Everything is perfect. You know, most people wouldn't look around and see the murders and the rapes and all these horrible things that happen every day in our nation and in our world. Most people wouldn't look around and say, yeah, the world's good. People are just good. Things are good. No, we, we sense brokenness in our world. We see broken families, broken relationships. We see all kinds of things in our world. We see spiritual warfare going on all around us. So the, the short answer to, to, to why does God allow suffering is this, and it should be on the next slide there. If, if God removed all suffering, we would not see a need for our Savior. If God removed all the suffering in your life and in my life, if we never felt the brokenness that sin brings, if, if we never felt just the struggles that we have here, we wouldn't see a need for a Savior. We, we wouldn't feel the need to have anything to be saved from. But God in his mercy allows afflictions to be upon us. Sometimes he gives them to us. Sometimes he still is sovereign over them, but they happen to us. But he allows those things because those things bring us to our knees and they turn us to our Savior. And Jonah's a great example of this fact. He did not reach out until he was in distress. He did not reach out until he was suffering. And sadly, many people today have that same mentality. It takes a huge affliction before they finally reach out. But if we look at the end of verse 2, and, and it's just that, that glimmer of hope in the midst of this awful situation for Jonah, he says, In the belly of Sheol I cried, and you what? You heard my voice. So even in the depths of the sea, even in the depths of your sin, he hears our voice. And if we cry out to him in humility, he will respond with grace and mercy. How, how amazing is that? So in this first point, we've seen how the Lord answers our prayer in distress. But number two, he, he also answers our prayer in the depths. And we're going to see uh, Jonah talk about him plunging into the water here in vivid detail. Uh, if you're somebody who has a fear of drowning, this is maybe a tougher thing. I know my mom has a huge fear of that, and so she would probably have a hard time. So 
So just bear with me as we, as we read this. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows pressed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root, roots of the mountain, or the, at the roots of the mountains, I went again to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. So we've all, all heard the phrase, what? Rock bottom. You know, that person hit rock bottom and they finally, finally came to Christ. They finally repented of their sins. It took them to, you know, to hit rock bottom. We see that in drug abuse. A lot of times we say, well, until they hit rock bottom, they won't seek care. We see that in alcoholism. Until they hit rock bottom, they won't. Or all kinds of addictions or, or different things or just in rebellion. Unless they hit rock bottom, then they won't turn. And Jonah was one of those people. He had to hit rock bottom, literally, as we see here. And notice that he sees God sovereignly throughout this whole thing. He doesn't say, those people threw me into the sea. He says, you cast me into the sea. He, know, he knew that God was sovereignly working in this entire situation. And he gives us a vivid detail of his experience in the depths of the ocean. So I'm going to break these down, and we're just going to kind of talk about uh, th- these points. We're going to go to the next slide there as we move forward. So we see seven details in what he experienced, and, and we're going to kind of talk about these in detail. So number one, the flood surrounded him. And if you've ever seen a flash flood, as you'll see in the next picture, um, you know that waters move extremely quickly, and they take everything out. I mean, here we see, like, bridges and roads that are just getting, I mean, concrete. Think about how heavy that is, that the waters can do that. That was in McDowell County just recently. And, and the waters can do that so quickly. You think about how heavy that is. Just try to pick up a little piece of that concrete. But the flood waters are so strong, and that's what Jonah talks about. It, you know, it's just the flood waters are coming all around him. And then you go to the next slide. They, they, then we see the waves and billows pressing on upon him, and he, he can't stay afloat. He, you know, he's there, and just with, it, with a matter of time, he, he's plunging. And then we see the waters closing over him, and the deep surrounds him. And you can just imagine that feeling of this, this is it. And if we, if we look throughout this entire prayer, you can see Jonah quoting psalms. He, he remembers psalms, and he's, he's quoting those as he prays and as he reflects on what happened as he's in the belly of the fish, and he's praying about what happened and what he experienced at that time. And as he reached out to the Lord, we see in Psalm 69, 1, the waters have come up to my neck. He, he was underwater at this point, and he's plunging to his doom. And then we see what reeds wrap, or weeds uh, wrap around his head. At this point, we're, 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 pretty, we're assuming that he, he's reached the bottom, toward the bottom of this area of the sea. And so seaweed is... is we're back. <laughs> All right. So, so he's had weeds wrap around his head at this point. So he is at the bottom of the sea. And you think about him, like when you think about weeds wrapping around your head, just kind of get, get in your mind, in your mind's eye. It's almost think, think about like choking him out. He's like, okay, I, I've reached the point of death. I've plunged down into this water, and now the weeds have wrapped around my head, and they're just choking me to death. I, I'm going home. It is, it is over. I'm going to Sheol. And if we think about where he's at at this point, he's on the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean Sea is huge. It's very, very big, uh, and just a huge, vast, uh, great body of water. Some places there are thousands of feet deep. Others are hundreds of feet, feet deep, depending on how how far you are from the coast. And so we don't know where he's at. I would assume he's probably a little closer to the coast at this point. Uh, you know, they, they wouldn't go way, way out a lot of times because of the dangers at sea, and they'd want to know where they were at. So a lot of times they went around the coast. 
but it would all be speculative to understand kind of where he's at. But think about it, if he's a little further out, obviously if it's thousands of feet, he's pretty much not breathing, not responding at that point uh, by the time he hits the bottom, and he would need to be re- revived by the Lord. So either way, we know God is miraculously working in this situation. Even hundreds of feet down, he may have quit breathing by then too. I mean, it takes a while to kind of go down that far. And then as we move forward, it says the roots of the mountains. And a lot of you all will be like, what does he mean by he went to the roots of the mountains? He's, he's in the sea. Like, what is he talking about being, you know, going down to the roots of the mountains? And you see right here, if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, there are tons of mountain ranges that are right on the coast. And so if you, if you would play that down, the roots of the mountains go hundreds and hundreds of feet down and over. Uh, and so at the roots of the mountains, I mean, he's at the bottom of the sea uh, is kind of what he's saying again there. And finally, he says that he went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And again, he's saying, Sheol, Sheol, death is the place of no return. You know, once, once you've died, you, you were not coming back, as we see their, their land of thinking. There's no hope for you once you've passed away. But then again, like we saw at the end of the last point, the end of verse 2, we see the end of verse 6, and he says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Wow, God's mercy shines again. How amazing is this? So we've already seen, seen that, that, that this great fish is going to swallow up Jonah. And just when all hope was lost, just when Jonah had resolved that Sheol had a hold of him, God shows up. And our God is a faithful and merciful God. He shows up to give salvation to anyone who will humbly show themselves to him, that will humbly call out to him. No, this doesn't mean you're always going to be healed of your physical ailment, that you're always going to be saved, earthly speaking, that you're you're always going to make it through that motor vehicle accident like I did. It doesn't mean that. But what he does mean is the promise for eternal life will come through. He always comes through with that promise. When you cry out to him and the depths of your sin that feels like you're in the pit, that feels like you're at the bottom, the roots of the mountain, you're at the bottom of the sea, and you repent of your sins and you turn to him, when you respond to his drawing and his reproof, he will answer. John six thirty seven says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. How, how great is that promise? Whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. As, and, and if you look, Jesus actually goes even further to say this, Matthew twelve twenty. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So he will respond with grace and mercy to those who humble themselves before him. A bruised reed, meaning someone who is broken. Uh, a smoldering wick, the, f- like I, the fire of life is about to go out. You know, I, I, don't, I don't even really necessarily think I want to go on. But he will not snuff out. If you respond in humility to him and you repent of your sins and you turn toward him, he will always show kindness, faithfulness, love, and mercy. How amazing is that? How great is our God, my friends? He reaches down into the depths, the, the place where no one thinks that anyone else can reach, the depths of almost getting to Sheol there, as we see here, that the bars of death were, were closing him, and he will, he will lift us out of the clutches of sin and death if only we repent and turn from our sins toward him. Next we see, in, in, as our third point, the Lord hears your prayers of despair. The Lord hears your prayers of despair. Let me read verses 7 and 8. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. When his life was fainting away, or the New King James will say when, when his soul was fainting away, then he remembered the Lord and prayed and 
We've seen so many parallels with the Psalms already, but here we see Psalm 142.3 and 143.4 have similar statements about one's spirit or their soul fainting away. And again, we see Jonah admit it took desperate times to turn to the Lord. It, it took him to that point where he was completely done. He, he, he completely hit rock bottom. And then we see him sovereignly acknowledge, and it may be confusing that he says, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And you're like, well, why does he mention that? Why does he talk about the holy temple? He's in the depths of the sea. He's praying to God. He's obviously not in the holy temple. Well, what he's saying is, God, I see that you are sovereign. I see that you are in control, that that you sit on the throne in your holy temple and you see everything that happens. You are in complete control. There is nothing that you do not understand, nothing that you do not see. Even me in the depths of the sea, you see me here and you offer your salvation to me, even in the depths of my sin. And sadly, it took despair for Jonah to turn to the Lord. Despair is a difficult concept for us to go through. It's complete loss or an absence of hope, just completely hopeless. And, and sometimes we reach this point when we forget the Lord. When our life seems to be a mess and everything is going, going poorly, so what should we do when we get, to get in times of despair, when, when things just don't seem like we can keep going on? Well, we need to remember the Lord and pray to Him. We should acknowledge Him as our sovereign God and turn to Him in repentance and trust Him. And a lot of times we're like, well, we're in a horrible place. Like, why should we repent at that point? I feel so bad. Things are not going well. What, what do you mean repent? Well, the problem is when you get to that point and you're in despair, it, it's a sin problem. And, and this is a really hard thing to talk about because it seems like, oh, wow, like you're going to kick somebody while they're down. It's like, no, I'm telling them how to get back up because you can't get back up on yourself or by yourself. You can't get back up by, by feeling better about yourself, or, or talking yourself up, or, or someone telling you, well, you just need to be better, and you need to do this. It's like, no. You, 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 you're able to get up only because God gets you up, and God picks you up off the ground. That God reaches into the depths of the sea, uh, the depths of, of, in your mind, Sheol, where you are done, and he picks you back up. And you repent of your sins. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I was so hopeless that I didn't even think you could reach in here and fix this. That I'm so sorry that I didn't think that you could fix my life. And it takes that. And, and we see Paul talk about this. And we see Paul say this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul had gone through a lot in his life, as we talked about before. I mean, being beaten multiple times and shipwrecked, you know, stoned, flogged, yet he did not give in to that despair. Instead, he fought against it through the power of Christ. And we're going to see at the beginning of this same church, uh, that letter to the second, the second letter to Corinth here, we see him say in verses 8 and 10 in this first chapter, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. This was it, kind of like Jonah is saying here. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he's saying this figuratively. Obviously, God raises the dead, right? We will die. We will be raised with Christ. But he raises dead lives, lives that are dead in sin, lives that are in despair. He can raise those as well. But, and again, to make us not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again 
On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. So Paul had reached this point of despair. He's like, all right, Lord, like this must be it. The persecution is so bad. I know we're coming home soon. You know, we have despaired of human life. So this is so tough. God, take this cup from me. I can't bear it anymore. As Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can see Paul probably feeling that same way, like this is too, too hard. Yeah, you can see his trust in Christ in verse 10 so clearly. My friends, are you in despair today? Can you relate to Paul there where you're in despair? Do you feel like there's no hope? Life can't get any better than this, right? Things will always be this bad. Uh, Those people will never like me. I will never find a wife or a husband. I will always be left out when it comes to friends, and I'll never get that job that I really want. You know, things will never improve. My life will always be bad. And maybe you, like Jonah, understand what it's like to feel this distance and this darkness that you're at the bottom of the sea and no one hears you, no one sees you, no one pays attention. I want you to take a step back, that even though you feel like your soul is fainting away, that even though you feel like that, take a step back and realize that these thoughts are nothing short of spiritual warfare from the enemy of your souls. He wants nothing but to kill, still, and destroy. And anytime you make statements with the word always or the word never, usually they're a lie. Because because things don't always go bad, and things won't never get better if, if we're looking. And, and so I know that was a double negative for those English people here. Um, I, I did it on purpose. Uh, so so if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're looking at that, we, we can magnify our problems. We, we, can, we can have a perspective issue. And I was, we were doing family worship with the kids a week or so ago, and we talked about perspective. And what I did was I, I took a water bottle, which this is a monstrous water bottle here, um, and, and I, I took a water bottle, and, and, I, and I set it down. And I had, I had Lisette, and I said, hey, when you have your head like this, how big does that water bottle look, right? And, and, and when she's right there, it looks huge, right? That is a monstrous water bottle when you're right there. And this, this seems like an imposing figure. And, and this looks like it's going to totally rock my world. It's all I can see. I can't see around it. But when you change your perspective and you look at like Jonathan back there and, and does this water bottle look as big to you as it does to me here? No, the, the water bottle didn't change, but the perspective changed. And when we're in despair, our perspective is messed up because what we do is we have a little God and a big problem. And that is an issue. Our, our God is too small and our problem is too big. And the issue is us. The issue is the way that we see our problem. And we have to pray that God helps us to change our perspective, to see the cross, to see how great he is, to see his forgiveness, his mercy, his love, what he has done for us, salvation that he has offered us, and to see our sin and how he will take it all as far as the east is from the west, that his yoke is easy and that his burden is light and he desires to be our living hope. When we allow him to change our perspective, our our sense of despair is turned into hope. And hope does not put us to shame. We see Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all what? Joy and peace. If you are in despair, you don't have joy and you don't have peace. But God is a God of hope who gives joy and peace even in the depths of the sea, even in the depths of sin, even in the depths of your life. He uses his Holy Spirit to give us that hope, to help us to abound. And I encourage each of you to not give in to those thoughts of despair. If that's you and you're like, I, you know what, I don't even know why I'm still here. I don't know what God's even doing with me. I, am I even, I don't even know if I know God. Like, I'm not sure where I'm at. Don't give in to those. Turn to him 
Submit your life to him. Repent of your sins. If you're not a believer, he will save you. If you are, he will welcome you back as a prodigal, and he will, he will forgive you. Jesus Christ is, is our living hope, as we see in 1 Peter 1, 3. And there is always hope with God. As he finishes verse 8 here, he talks about idols. And he remembers, he recalls the, the ship crew as they, they cry out, they call out to their idols, and they don't answer because they're not real. And he knows that in the midst of despair, there's only one God that is real. Only one God that comes through. Only one God in which our hope will not be put to shame, and that is Yahweh. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God who provides deliverance as well, as we get to our next point here. The Lord hears your prayers and deliverance. We read our final two verses, verses 9 and 10. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So here we reach the climax of this psalm of prayer that that Jonah's been writing. Uh, We've been seeing the difficulty and despair that Jonah has faced as he's sunk to the depths of the sea. But salvation has come. A, a great fish has swallowed him and saved him. And, and Smith and Page in their commentary on Jonah states, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is apparent that Jonah remembers Psalm 3.8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings on your people. Selah. He has recalled the Psalms multiple times in his prayer. And this man who has been stubborn and refused to talk to God, to to pray to God, to even acknowledge God exists, and has run for his life, to run from God, now quotes the scripture multiple times. That that the Psalms are coming out. And, And so far in this book, there's not a lot of stuff I could say, hey, we need to emulate Jonah. This is a guy that needs to be your mentor. He's a guy you need to look up to. Most things I'd be like, no, whatever Jonah did, just don't do that. Like that would be, but here we actually have a learning point from Jonah. He knows the word of God, and it is spewing out of him. And if you are in the word, if you want to have a good prayer life, get in the word, know the word, and your prayers will be so much stronger because you will know God's will. And when you pray God's will because you know his word, it will make your prayers so much more powerful. Then in verse 10, we see what happens. The salvation has come in an unconventional way. He has been swallowed by this great fish. He has now been in there for for three days and three nights. And that same God who sovereignly appointed the great fish to swallow Jonah and now carry him likely back to Palestine where he started. And that's how sin works. You run on the treadmill for miles and miles and you end up back where you started because sin, and you end up a lot of times a lot more broken than before you went. And so here he is. He gets vomited out. The same God who appointed the fish now commands this great fish to spit Jonah out on the shore. Don't think anybody wanted to have him over for dinner at that point. He probably smelled a little, a little fresh. Um, but but, but how, how amazing is this? This, this? this journey that he's made, he's trying to go to Tarshish. He's trying to get like 2,500 to 3,000 miles away from Joppa near Jerusalem. And where does he end up? Right back on the shore where he started. Isn't that how sin works, though? Rebellion against God is like running on that treadmill we talked about. You will have plenty of negative consequences, but he chases down those who are his. God will only let you be disobedient for so long before he steps in and starts to afflict you and bring you back because he disciplines those he loves. He reproves those he loves and he will 
persevere, and he will win, as we saw in this. No matter how hard Jonah fought, God wins. And he hears your prayers even in his deliverance of you. As we come to a close, there, there's four important takeaways I want us to, to take from this psalm of prayer here. Number one, God is sovereign and can deliver a soul even in the worst of circumstances. God is sovereign and can deliver a soul even in the worst of circumstances. If God can save Jonah, God can save you. I mean, Jonah's at the bottom of the sea. Jonah is on his last leg. He is one foot in the grave, one foot not. He is about to die, and God saves him miraculously through a great, a huge, great fish. He can save you, right? No one is too far off to be saved. No one is too bad to be saved. No one is too sinful to be saved. Only turn to him and respond in faith and repentance, and eternal life is offered freely. Number two, don't run from God. We learn quickly from this account that running from God is useless and only brings trouble and affliction. Right? Even believers can run from God at times. Uh, e- even we as, as, as believers can run from him. But may we learn from Jonah's example and not run long and realize, wow, he will reprove and discipline those who are his because he loves us and he will allow us to go through things. Number three, turn to God alone for salvation. Right? Those idols, they didn't, they didn't answer. The, the, the ship crew continued to scream out to these idols. They threw cargo over. They did everything they could, and no answer happened at that point. Right? He is the only way and the truth and the life, John 14, 6. It is only through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, rose three days later, and now is at the right hand of the Father. It's only by his name that we may be saved. And finally, number four, there is always hope with Jesus. There is always hope with Jesus. And, and you may be on the verge of giving up. You may, as we talked about despair, you may be one of those people that it's like life's just not worth living. You know what? I just want to go in my shell. I don't want to go out of my house. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to be around anyone. I, I can't take any more hurt. People are bad. People do bad things. I, I'm not going to be around anyone. I'm, I'm going to just get in my shell here. But no, there's hope with Jesus. There's always hope with Jesus. And find your contentment and your joy and your perspective in him. He will never leave you or forsake you. As we've talked about, his burden is light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. As the psalmist uh, says here, I want to end with this, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Trust him and turn to him, my friends. He never fails. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who loves us even as we're in distress, even as we're in despair. God, even, even when all hope is gone, you are a God who is a God of hope, even in times of hopelessness. You are a God of, of strength in our times of powerlessness. Lord, you are always there. You hear and you see everything. As you are in your holy temple, God, you see everything. You are everywhere. You are all-powerful, and you are mighty. You are all-knowing. There is nothing that happens that you don't know about. Nothing that happens that is outside of your will and your control. And God, even when we're in darkness and despair, we feel distance from you. We know you are still sovereign and you are still in control. And so may our hope always be in you. May our faith always be in you. So we're learning in growth group uh, with Hebrews 11. Now, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And, and Lord, we have faith in a God that we can have complete hope in because you are 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 almighty. You are in control. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Help us to trust you more. Help us to repent and turn from our times of despair that we get focused on the problem, that that our problem is bigger than our God. May our God always be bigger than everything. May we see you 
as you are, as much as we can. Obviously, we can't comprehend how big, big you, that you are because you are so grand and you are so big. But may anything, any circumstance in our life, anything that we face, may it pale in comparison to you. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.